Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown. Welcoming back to the Asia Tech Podcast Studio, Sudanshu Tewari, CEO of Rewards. Sudanshu, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Graham. Yeah, we we're just saying time flies. It was seven, eight months since you were last on the show. Yeah, indeed, indeed, yeah. Quite a ride for you. Let's talk about what's going on in the world of rewards based in Singapore. Well, you're no longer just in Singapore. I seem, you seem to be expanding all over the place as well. So there's a lot to talk about. There's, yep. uh, I noticed as well, I mean, I want to talk about this. You, you posted uh, a while back about something, a little bit of a story, insight into your story, which I think we can share with the listeners. And if you didn't catch Sudanshu's first interview on Asia Tech Podcast, go back and listen to that because that's really about the, how you started rewards and how you grew that business so three years ago when you had your first client right you popped the corks on the champagne you did all that (laughs) such a big deal for you you went out and celebrated and then (laughs) it's kind of interesting because Sudanshu, i had a a similar story when i started my telecoms business well 12 well 12 years ago no it'd be 14 years ago now so Yeah, you grind away looking for the first client. You get the first client. Yep, you know, you get the first client and you then you make that sort of extrapolation of how you're going to grow based on yep. that client. You know, that client this week, next week's two clients, the week after it's four <laughs> clients. And then, you know, it scales all the way up until heaven, right? Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Well, what happened with yourself with rewards? Did it continue to grow directly as you kind of thought back then three years ago what happened not at all i mean that's what i was posting right i mean it was a it was a learning uh, big big learning for us right so i mean this client uh, I, i'll share with you our numbers to give a perspective so yeah, this please. was our first client and uh, it was a big client I, I i do not deny that 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 client is still with us so it's been four years they are still with us it's it's a huge hospital in singapore uh, one of the one of the largest hospitals. Uh, so we were we we self surprised ourselves that we got them as our first client when our product was not even ready. I mean, uh, we were trying to sell it to small companies, startups, and it was not really selling. And uh, uh, we managed to get this client. I think uh, there were only two big reasons why we got them. One, they were looking for a provider like us. They were struggling to manage their these uh, what you call them uh, benefits uh, the non-core benefits like the perks discount discounts uh, and uh, they wanted somebody to just take away that burden for them they didn't care about what the technology we have they just wanted somebody to help them manage those uh, these uh, non-core benefits and uh, we just approached them at the right time I think Nicole my co-founder gelled very well with the uh, with the uh, with the main uh, HR business partner there, mm-hmm. and uh, they said, "Okay, we found the right person. Let's get them this contract." And we were very happy. They said, "Okay, we have cracked the, one of the biggest uh, hospitals mm-hmm. in Singapore. Now we'll just go use this story and uh, go tell all the other hospitals, and at least we can capture all the other hospitals in the next six months." And we were gung ho. I mean, for us, that one client was uh, like a uh, whole validation done. Our product works, yeah, yeah, our yeah. business works. We will build our product from here and our clients. So I threw a big party for everybody. Celebrate, celebrate the moment. I mean, we all have been working uh, for last uh, four or five months. Uh, 
trying to source for clients, trying to build this product. So whole tech team, I mean, business team, it was just me and Nicole that time. And it was mostly technology product team. Uh, yeah. So you threw a party. <laughs> Everybody enjoyed. I think the cost of the party was almost half the revenue we were going to get <laughs> from this. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. You'll get another one tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And, uh, especially especially when you didn't change at all. <laughs> Next week, week after week, months after months, uh, we worked a lot on this first client, and uh, they, they 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 helped us improve the product. They were great, but. Those next few hospitals or next few clients didn't come for next six months. <laughs> wow. When you sell to a hospital, that kind of client, you I can understand where you're coming from because you would assume that hospitals just look at each other when it comes to making these yeah. purchases. So if that hospital buys from these guys, they will buy from them as well because they're quite yeah. conservative. So that, that's quite a, a natural assumption to make. And it would, yeah. you would have thought that, you know, if one hospital no, I, bought... I think there's a lot more nuance to it. Uh, I think B2B selling the business where we are in, it doesn't work like that. Right. Even if you have a product and a need, uh, you need to find the right person to sell to. Yeah, yeah. That uh, after you have found the right person, you should gel with that person. After that, that person needs to have budget for it. And even if you have budget for it, you have met the right person, you have the right fit. Maybe the timing is not right. I have just launched uh, another HR system. I cannot launch this right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 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 so there, are, I think there are just too many other factors in play, which, which we, yeah, we, we as novices, first-time entrepreneurs uh, in the B two B space, didn't didn't take into account. Right. Very interesting learning experience for you. I spent, yeah. uh, I, I spent, uh, as I said before about the telecoms business, you know, I spent a lot of time selling to telecoms operators, so mobile networks, which are not too dissimilar to hospitals. You right. know, you know, a lot of them have come from public sector. So, right. you know, they're organized, the older ones are organized in a very similar way. And I found that in many ways, the sales process is very complicated because yep. It's a little bit political, and you've yep. got a lot of people involved yep. in that process. And it's not very clear. I mean, if you go to a, a a traditional startup, you know exactly who the guy is that started that business and who makes the decisions. And often yep. it's two people, like yourself yep. in rewards, for example. But in a hospital, you could be dealing with many, many departments yep. and committees and yep. so on. How did you find that? I mean, as an entrepreneur, did you find that frustrating? Or did you sort of like change your mindset when it came to dealing with these large organizations? I mean, I mean, we have been doing this for four years. So I think in the B2B space, we have a uh, wealth of knowledge in uh, how do we uh, how do we approach a deal and uh, how do we approach uh, medium-sized organizations mm. to a large-sized organizations. And uh, what do we, I mean, uh, uh, we, we, we have uh, uh, as part of our sales organization, now, now we, we have decent uh, sales organization. Now in Singapore, there are at least four very senior sales guys supported by uh, junior guys. We, we, we know that it takes time for we, we at least there is a betting phase of any salesperson, the top notch salesperson of at least six months to one year to be able to uh, become productive because wherever he comes from, especially we, we are rewards is a very niche market. It's not like selling cars. Uh, so we for us, the person has to come in, understand our product, build his network, build his relationships. Uh, uh, it's. More often than not, I think product sells. Product has an appeal. There is no doubt about that. 
and uh, with which we have proven it over four or five years with the number of clients we have that across locations. Uh, every country, I mean, we are now in 11 countries. Every country is at a different maturity stage, uh, and we know probably which product will sell where at what stage, where we need to wait, what kind of clientele we need to go for in each country. Having said that, more than the product, it's the it's the connection with the, it's the people buy that salesperson's mm. uh, yeah, honesty, yeah. how well he will work with them in the B2B space. This product is perhaps secondary. Primary mm. is your relationship with your client for us. Uh, how will you gel? Yeah. And so we, we take quite a good note of it. Like when we go to meet a client, we, we kind of try to sense that which, which of our salesperson will be the right fit to serve this client. That's interesting. So do, do you, I mean, when you're building your sales team, uh, do you recruit your salespeople on the basis of they already have connections within the, the industries that you're trying to get into? Or because, I mean, th- those, those yeah, guys are expensive yeah. and they want the right package, right? The right rewards, so yeah. to speak. So they are expensive, especially in Singapore. So yeah, yeah, if exactly. you ask me in Malaysia or Indonesia, very cheap and for us, but uh, Singapore and the, 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 the key thing is Singapore is the headquarters. So a lot of Southeast Asia decision making out yeah. happens out of Singapore. So our best sales people are in Singapore. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we do try to uh, try to look that they have worked in a similar sector. Uh, whether because we have a lot of insurance companies as our clients. So, yeah, if you have, uh, have experience in insurance, that works. Whether if you have uh, experience in the recruitment space, that works. But uh, at the moment, it's very difficult that to find somebody who has worked exactly mm. in the same industry as us uh, or what we sell because there are not many players like what we do. Right, right. So you're going into these organizations and you're targeting the HR departments? Who, who would be the buyer that you'd buy, who would buy rewards? So I think that's what has changed a lot in the, in the last eight months uh, right. since uh, we talked uh, previously. So HR is still our, so we have actually have three big revenue streams for us at the moment. HR is still our core, uh, core clientele, mm. which uh, is in the space of employee engagement, employee benefits. Uh, we go sell them point, uh, uh, peer-to-peer recognition systems, wellness platforms. So we have basically two main platforms for HR, which is a wellness platform. If you want to incentivize wellness in your organization, you can buy Flabulous. If you want to incentivize anything else, you want to uh, recognize your salesperson, creativity, innovation, just day, uh, we call it a spot recognition platform or an mm-hmm. incentive platform where you can configure the platform as per your culture. Uh, you can let uh, employees appreciate other employees. You can let supervisor appreciate the, anybody in the organization, department head. So that we call Sarah points. And when you appreciate and you earn these points, they are actually as tangible as dollars. So you can redeem it for in Singapore, like the best supermarket or in the uh, departmental store. You can redeem it electronically. You get those QR codes, barcodes, which can be redeemed to buy uh, from a grocery to, 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 to a TV or iPad, mm. so depending on your point. So those platforms are for HR, but the, the, the recognition platform, we, are, we have uh, tweaked it and we are using it as a Salesforce incentive platform. I'll tell you a very great example of it, uh, which, is, uh, which is where we are now. So uh, in the Salesforce where we are expanding is uh, there's a company called uh, 
uh, this is companies the i mean we haven't declared it on the social media so i'll just keep aside the name it will probably come out soon uh this is one of the largest i glassware company almost any brand you know mm. uh, which own like uh, like and which owns it owns almost 80% of the market in the eyewear now for them uh, whenever they're shopkeeper so they they sell their glasses at retail shops which are owned by distributors so whenever a shopkeeper sells their brand they get incentivized through us mm. so they they scan their receipt the square uh, that gets uh, we use we use ai and image recognition to automatically map the values that it is the correct receipt and everything matches and we give them in, uh, immediately points which can be redeemed for at the same way in whether to buy a ipad or or buy groceries so this is our sales for incentive solution so we are used by prudential which we did announce recently where they incentivize their sales agent for selling uh, for attending road shows trainings and in the future maybe even selling policies So this is a second uh, stream where we are going into incentivizing distributors resellers in this case we don't work with HR we work with the sales and marketing head uh, channel partner mm-hmm. head in a company like uh, iGear like who's managing all the channel partners and our third area is actually consumer loyalty but also not consumer loyalty directly it's through B2B to C so a good example of it is like uh, AIG is a uh, AIG this insurance company they have a driving app now they want to incentivize their drivers to drive safely and before they worked with us the only incentive they can give is that at the end of the year they will get some premium mm. off their insurance which now we have broken it down whole year like if you if you drive safely five times you get those uh, you get a Lazada voucher from from uh, uh, from rewards mm. so we have come up with this gamification on their app which people like earlier people people don't want to download the app and wait whole year to track their safe driving and get some 15% discount then but now they get incentivized on day to day basis and these this uh, these uh, prizes and gamification the rules of gamification change on a weekly basis so we are that plug and play player uh, into this AIG app So that's that's this is our consumer mm. loyalty space. So these are the three areas where we are operating. I think we are going through a very huge rebranding exercise right now. So I'll, I'll you probably will see in the next one month uh, we launch a new brand with all the updates on the website. Well, I mean there's so much to talk about. Let's unpack that a little bit so then shoot. I I want to dive a little bit into the sales side of things because I'm a sales guy. Okay. You know, I, I spent a lot of my career recruiting sales guys, and you know that's not as easy as it sounds. You know, no. that's often recruiting and keeping talent in sales is very, very hard, especially when you sort of get beyond the entry level sales and you try and get talented salespeople who can perform. So, yep. why why would uh, you know why would I as a a company owner want to reward sales guys with iPads and these kind of things rather than just hard cash because you know a lot of people think yeah. that sales people are just motivated by cash no yeah you're absolutely right so we don't target uh, sales staff which are directly owned by the companies who are direct employees i don't think we are building solution for them right but uh, assuming the your i company which are selling hmm. through a distributor and you need to incentivize you have 80 shops all over singapore selling your uh, uh i i i wear your glasses 
and you don't know who those people are selling, who are those salespeople. You don't have direct connection. You don't have their bank accounts. Uh, you cannot pass them, keep going every month and pass them cash. Right. We, gotcha. we, tar- we target those. So whether it is that or whether it is uh, somebody selling perfumes in a departmental store, mm. and you'll be surprised. There are so many big companies selling perfumes uh, who would like to incentivize those sales, like instead of selling their competitor's perfume, you may want to show my perfume. Or it could be as big as Mercedes selling through their different car dealers where Mm. they have no control over the car salesman. Right. That's the Salesforce incentive where we are targeting. So this would work where you are unable to pay out commissions to salespeople, frontline salespeople, because obviously, you know, you're not the employer, but you can incentivize them to sell your products or somebody else's products, obviously, without having that sort of relationship. So that would work, in, particularly in retail, very well, I think, wouldn't it? Because yep. they have a wide range of different products from different, yep. you know, different brands. So, okay, so in the in the context, without sort of going into the the, the brand name, the eyewear company. Yeah. So how did that work? Did you, I mean, do you build a relationship with the founder? Do you build a relationship with the, the retail store owners? I mean, or the head of sales? Where, where does that start? No, no, we directly went with the with the brand, the main brand who is selling right. eyewear. We, we approached them. They they don't have huge people. I mean, it's a, it's a, a company itself would probably have less than 100 people, but the very senior headquarters is in, in Singapore for whole of, whole of Asia. Mm. So we just directly went to the uh, head of the, uh, uh, head who was managing all these channel partners, who is responsible for the PNL to from from these channel partners. Right. Uh, what would be the problem that they have, like any company in that situation that you're solving for them? Why would they need a solution like this? So they, they were thinking about it. Like they they were trying. I mean, the the uh, the simple problem is that they want the salesperson to salesperson at their retail shop to take care of their brand. We tell about it's uh, if a client customer comes in and it's a good fit for their brand, they would like them to showcase their brand. Now, how do they do it? Uh, what will incentivize them to do it? And that, that was the problem they had. And also, how do you track that? Even mm. if you incentivize them somehow, what's what sort of technology we use that it is auto-tracked and it's easy to use? So they were trying to do it like the before we came in, there were some at some bits, like not for everybody, maybe from their top two retailers. They were collecting receipts. They will send them bulk receipts once a month. They wow. will look through the receipts and then hand out a buy, go buy vouchers from somewhere and pass it back to those two retailers. It was not scalable. Wow. They can't do it yeah, for yeah, everybody. Yeah. Figuring, yeah. So was, was that the best solution that was on the market at the time? I mean, that seems amazingly inefficient to collect receipts and somebody to then go through a box of receipts and yeah <laughs> that's all th- that's what they were wow. doing and it was a pain for them to manage it oh, they yeah. not collect yeah. any data derive any details share any right, much right, insights right. from it uh, well, to their management i can imagine that was that was prone to failure as well can you imagine if, if somebody lost the receipts and you know that's just yep. going to piss the salespeople off right yeah the whole thing would backfire well i mean that's amazing i mean you know it sounds like you're you're, you're you've had a good eight months and obviously it's thrown up a lot of questions and you know like concepts about how you need to brand yourself and you know where you're going to grow and so on let's let's talk about how you've grown you've mentioned 11 countries can you talk a little bit about that all the countries so yeah, yeah so we are in of course in singapore dubai malaysia these three where we have our own uh, 
headquarters. Uh, uh, sorry, I mean, we have our own offices uh, with our own local staff uh, mm-hmm. India, which is mostly right now our back office. Most of the development happens out of India, but uh, now we have set up our operations as well. So we are serving one client who is based in Singapore, but has office in India, and we are we are able to provide the full service to them. So these four are perhaps our primary markets where we have our own uh, local staff. Rest we leverage uh, local partnerships with uh, with uh, which we have forged over the years. So in Indonesia we have a partnership where there is a local player called Nava Plus who, who we don't have our own staff, but uh, they provide the merchant partnerships. So if we have a client, we will use their merchant partnerships. And uh, we can roll it out and any local support uh, they can provide and we do revenue sharing with them. So that's fifth. In uh, Philippines, same, similar process. We have got our merchant partner there. And then in, in um, Thailand, Germany, US, Japan, all these through our, uh, uh, our parent company, which is Benefit One. They mm. have offices in all these places. So if we have a client, we can use those offices, the local people there to serve the client. Right, and right. they also have the similar merchant network there because they are in the same business. So Hong Kong as well. So Hong Kong, we don't have an active client, but we have set up. We have had so many discussions of rolling out uh, uh, our product with the multiple companies in Hong Kong that uh, we really hope we'll probably launch soon. And so we have built all our uh, partnership there with uh, with uh, with a player called the TLC, Total Loyalty. So we have been working with they, they they'll bring the partners and provide the local support there mm. so yeah these these are kind of the countries where we cover mostly southeast asia middle east uh that and that that's uh that's our target market rest where just all the countries where we can if we have a client we should be able to serve them right so how do you go about that you've already mentioned having strategic partners and you've got the benefit mm. of having your strategic investor as well benefit one yeah. behind you and yeah. my, my sort of question sort of in the angle of you as the founder as well, because it's very easy to go into a market and that to suck up all your time and resources because, you know, going into a market, you, you can kind of get stuck, you know, lost in a rabbit hole, like, you know, chasing leads and it costs time and money and so on. You mentioned Indonesia as an example. How, how do you go about markets like that? Do you do partners come to you or do you spend time on the ground? I mean, what's the most effective way, use of your time to scope out partnerships and new markets? I mean, obviously, like in the case of Middle East uh, or Dubai, we we got big clients. So it it reached a stage where we had to set up our own office. Whereas Mm. uh, in the case of Indonesia, right now we have two clients, like this eyewear company, which is selling. So we need to provide the product because they are so everywhere. We have to provide the product and one more client. So I think to me, it un, un, until it reaches a stage where from day one I can afford to put in two, three staff there, or at least uh, mm. uh, I know that within six months I'll break even, uh, I would like to forge a partnership uh, with, with a local company. And yeah, we, we, we work on it. We give ourselves time to maybe one month, two months to, to, uh, to find the right partner to work with. Uh, fortunately, uh, we are in a business where... Uh, uh, the there are traditional players with these merchant networks. This business of right. getting coupons and uh, has been there for a very long time. What is not there? The technology which we provide. So technology we anyways have. What we have to find these traditional players who have merchant network. I mean the likes of coupons and the discounts and uh, 
point rewarding using uh, fiscal coupons has been going on for years. So it doesn't take long. Some of these players have become new age and they have APIs and good technology and they are happy that, oh, you bring a client, then we will just co-share the revenue. Uh, you bring a client, you share, give me my share, or I bring a client to your country, mm. then you give me the share. So it becomes easier. So either is the only only bottleneck for us to expanding is finding that merchant partnership, which actually in our business is easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're established. I mean, that's key, isn't it? Because you're not having to go out and educate the the merchant as well about how to do this business. Yeah. They, all, yeah. they, all you're doing is you're plugging in the technology. So yeah. it's a real plug and play. I think that's a, that's a big risk, isn't it, for a lot of startup founders is that yeah. when they expand, they spend their time educating markets, whether that be merchant yep. partners or consumers. And I think that's a huge hidden cost that can sink a business, isn't it? But yep. you, you yep. have these established networks which you can plug into. So you go into a, a market where there's a client first, a paying client, and yep. then that sort of pulls you into the market. You, you'd put in like your outpost first, or maybe you'd get a, a sales Local guy. Partner. Yeah. Okay, so, so the go- first first we'll work with a local partner for first few clients, and when like I think it's more than ten clients, that's the time to okay, let's put our own person there, put uh, one, two, or three people staff set up the entity and, and and make that big investment. I mean, even for our case, it will take at least one year to break even once you set up your own uh, yeah. uh, shop in a country. Right, right. And do they each have their own P and L when you set up a new? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I'm just wondering about managing that because I mean you have eleven markets now that you're in mm. from your perspective i mean put the pll aside for a minute let's talk about sudan shutawari you know as the as the main focus here i mean how do you manage that because your time i mean forget about you know the fact that you you have to be sort of on online 24 hours a day around following the sun <laughs> i don't i don't i right. still have off time <laughs> Well, I yeah. mean, okay. I mean, talk about that as well. I mean, how how do you manage that? Let's let's sort of look at that because this is the challenge, isn't it? Because it creeps up on you. You could easily be following the sun, so to speak, and having that twenty four hour online attitude towards running a, a business in multiple markets. Are you, you sort of consciously, you know, ring fencing your time and and how you manage eleven markets? Share your thoughts on that because I, I think people are really interested because it's very difficult to get right. Uh, I, I think one of my strengths definitely is I, I, I do delegate and I do trust the uh, people to do their job. So, I mean, once it is uh, like uh, assuming that there is this uh, one client which is across six countries and we have the salesperson who has won it and he's working with one of our own account managers. So there are two people who will probably do it. I mean, I, I trust them. They will do a good job. And I don't uh, and once a while, everybody fucks up, including me. We will always uh, do a big mistake. Uh, I think uh, I, I'm fine with that. I think I, I let people make the mistakes mm-hmm. and we have a good chat about it. How, what do we learn? Say, and I think if the mistake happens at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. So I'll have to go back and uh, uh, say sorry and apologize to the client. But uh, that doesn't take me from trusting that uh, person again. I mean, I've hired him. I know. I mean, we, we are doing great. I mean, and it's doing great because we have a great bunch of people. Mm. Uh, so I think a lot of lot of lot of it comes from uh, delegating down to the senior people we have in the team now, and and training them to do the same. I mm. think I, I, I think uh, I, I am good at that. But I'm sometimes uh, where we get the bottleneck from growth is like where I feel a middle manager or, or a salesperson. It's just too controlling. They are not uh, 
they are not delegating enough, which sucks up a lot of their their time, which mm. prevents the company's growth. So I think I, that's that's uh, that's the thing. That's that's the stage where we are in our growth. Like where I have to train them to be let go, let yeah, people yeah. make mistakes and learn under you, and so you can move up. Yeah, this is the challenge, isn't it, with salespeople? And I say that being a salesperson, so I feel I could talk a little bit about our weaknesses as well. Is that you know we're we're really good at selling, but often the best salespeople aren't aren't very good at managing. You know, the ones yeah. who are good managers aren't very good salespeople. Yeah. So there's that balance, isn't it? I mean, how, how do you sort of when you recruit and build your company around that? What, what are you looking for? Are you looking particularly for you know like sales managers or you because there's a type of salesperson who you know sold from the ground up, isn't there? Who you know they started out selling, knocking on doors. You know, that's what they lived and breathed. And they were very, very good at that. And sometimes, you know, when you promote them into a management type position, they kind of lose their way a little bit, don't they? Because they're actually very, very good at generating money for a business. And I I prefer that they sell rather than, so a lot of times they want to manage the relationship with the client too much and do all the mundane job of uh, replying to every email or providing every, so I think they should, they should focus on what they are good at, focus on sales and, uh, because they feel that the relationship cannot, uh, salespeople are very positive about the relationship with their clients and they don't want to let go. Everything which the client asks, I'll do it, which, which is what I have to train them to, yeah, to, to, to be, to, to, to start handing over and mm-hmm. focus on selling. I mean, uh, to, to your earlier point on how we recruit, uh, uh, given we don't have a precedent, we don't have a lot of competitors of what we do, uh, to just go back, oh, you brought so much PNL to this, company we should recruit you i think what i personally recruit is uh i i I recruit on on your story like what is your Mm. story like uh, how what hard times you have been through i'll tell you uh, our last salesperson who has been amazingly successful for us this guy is from uh, india and uh, he moved to japan a very remote part of japan for his university studies and uh, in that part of japan there was no other Indian there. He was only guy. And he had to learn Japanese while studying. He had to learn not even just speaking, writing Japanese. He joined the first company as salesperson in a very, very typical Japanese company wow. where nobody ever speaks and even emails are not in English. It's nothing is in English. And he survived there and he did very well. And mm. once he told me the story, I said, hi, you're the person for us. <laughs> we uh-huh. need such, uh, such kind of uh, people with such spirit. <laughs> What, what was it about his story that particularly attracted you? That he, he could adjust, he could face any adversity, oh. any comedy, he can solve it. And that's what we face every day. Yeah, so, yeah. It, yeah. Well, I think that's particularly relevant, isn't it, for a, a startup, you know, having yeah. a sales guy in a startup rather than somebody who's going to go and be a sales guy in, you know, at AIG, for example, who, you know, or a yeah. GSK. You know, yeah. the large blue chips where pretty yeah. much everything is set out Worked for you, up. isn't it? Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. rather than some somebody who has to kind of like deal with uncertainty and, you know, also they put themselves in that position. It's, it's interesting that he decided to go out to remote area of Japan yep. and live there and learn Japanese and thrive in that environment. That's pretty tough. That's right outside yep. of your comfort zone, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's a rare find as well. I mean, how did you find him? 
I'm lucky people find me. <laughs> <laughs> but how do? Okay, so I'm 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 asking the question for those people who are listening and thinking, how do I find a sales guy like that? So yeah, it's tough. I think sometimes uh, uh, coincidence. So he approached me in LinkedIn, and uh, yeah. once he, we met over coffee, I just related to him. He's my kind of person. Yeah, I think yeah. we have uh, we have gone through similar. Uh, I don't know. I think I'll, I'll give you advice probably since you're asking is like maybe. Maybe as you're saying in LinkedIn, you read some message about me. I'm very honest on LinkedIn what I what I write. It's something yeah. which which I believe in truly. I write that. So maybe if you write that, people these days content marketing sales people, everybody is on LinkedIn. They read about you. They know the character they may uh, they may relate to. So if you interview this salesperson, and he may have read something about me and uh, then approached me. Yeah. That's really important, isn't it? And we, I sort of draw this back to the, the original conversation that we had, which was, well, today, which is about that initial, that first client that you had and, you know, popping the courts on the, the champagne, having the party. You posted that on LinkedIn. And I, I think, you know, founders have to realize that they're selling as well. You know, that everybody's in the, in that process of selling their story. And you talk about storytelling as well. You know, Sudanshu, by putting your story out there, and as you say, you're quite open and honest about it, that you are selling your company, your story, and that attracts people, like-minded people, doesn't it? I mean, that attracts people yep. who, maybe they object, you know, maybe they consciously don't think it, that, oh yeah, this guy's got a great story, but they just kind of feel that connection, don't they? And they feel, yeah, I, I'm, I think I could fit in with this company and this guy, yep. you know. But, you know, if you don't put your story out there, and you're honest yeah. about it, then you'll never attract these people. So I, I guess that's what's kind of attracting people like the sales yep. person. Yes, because you summed about. it exactly, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and putting it out there as well. So, okay, I mean, how many people do you have now at Rewards? Around 35, but not all in Singapore. Um, so Singapore is like uh, one third of it, around 13, 14 people in Singapore. Then almost uh, same amount in, uh, uh, in, in India. Uh, right. Same number, sorry, and uh, and around three each in uh, Malaysia and Dubai. Right. So let me share a story with you quickly. I had a, a go back to my telecoms business. We got to thirty-five people, interestingly. <laughs> so that was the magic number, and we had similarly as well. We had ten in, I think, ten to twelve in the UK. Right. Which, which, like Singapore, is an expensive place to have an yep. HQ, but you know, necessary, right, for relationships. Yep. And we also had an office in India. And then a few sort of dotting around who were sort of, you know, they were freelancing or, you know, they were working virtually for us. Yeah. You know, and I was the founder of that business. And I think, you know, where I went wrong and maybe what you're not doing, but it's just interesting to get your opinion on this. Where I went wrong is I spent too much time managing all the people in the business, you know, and I thought that was my job, you know, to go out and make sure people were doing this, that and the other. Maybe I was a bit of a control freak. But you know, right. that's kind of what happened. And I think that sunk the business at the, at the end because a big part of what my role should have been was getting out there and you know, evangelizing and marketing and selling. Yep. How about yep. yourself? How, how are you sort of consciously forcing yourself to do these things to grow the business rather than get caught in the weeds, so to speak, of growing a business? Yeah, so I, I am at fault. I mean, I, 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 I kind of realized that fault for a while now that uh, – uh, I'm too too much into so so my, because when the business started, I was kind of the product owner and the product manager who build a product from scratch and every so I know the ins and out of it. So right now also, if there is any 
whether even if it's a support issue and nobody knows, uh, <laughs> it's very hard for me not to resist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like resist not getting into it and just solve it. I, okay, just do this and, and it will be solved. So I, I am making a conscious choice, especially this year uh, as the business is growing, that uh, that I really step back. I We have hired a product owner in India and we are trying to come up with these uh, customer growth managers here in uh, Singapore who will take over worry from the sales staff and uh, handle all the everything. So I don't get, uh, I, I do want to manage the relationship with our key clients, uh, especially uh, especially the senior people. I meet them, uh, try to understand their pain points. Uh, I think that part of relationships is what I want to focus on. Mm. Also working with our investors, I think, uh, on how to grow in other markets, what's the strategy, how much, uh, I think the funding and the financial side, that I'll, anyways, I have to do it. I don't think we will hand over that. But yeah, I, I, and, and, and I think the last part is about uh, selling yourself on the, telling your story a lot more than what we have done in the past. I think I'm guilty of not doing it mm. enough. I'm very thankful for Graham to you and your team for giving us this opportunity again. <laughs> Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? It's like gravity. I think the organization could be like gravity bringing you back down to earth. You know, yeah. where you, you can easily delegate that stuff, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I think back to my own situation is that I wish, you know, just a regret, I guess, but it's a learning. So I suppose, you know, nothing's ever regret, you know, a regret, so to speak. But I wish I'd spent more time out of the office. Yep. Because, you know, I, I, those days where I got back into the office, it's like, oh, Graham, can you have a look at this? Can you yep. do this? Can you approve this? Yep. Can you sign this? You know, and yep. that, that's the challenge. And I think, you know, listeners will, will probably relate to that because that's the yeah. challenge of growing well, I, I perfectly relate to that. I think we are at exactly that stage right now where I have to make a very conscious decision of stepping away a lot more. Yeah. And, I, and, and I've seen founders... Uh, of my same stage, some of, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, not direct competitors, but people who started at the same time, and some have done much better than I, I am doing right now, so I'm learning, and I'm trying to probably, hopefully this year we'll improve. Yeah. I'll, I'll do better as a CEO. <laughs> well, no, I think you're doing a great job as well. I mean, I'm also impressed by your humility and, you know, your honesty you. as well when you're putting stuff out there. Yeah, I mean, just on that, you know, like you do put posts out there on LinkedIn and other platforms and so on, which, which uh, I suppose this is an interesting sort of angle is that, you know, when you sort of, you know, from, especially if you're of an age, which I mean, you know, if you're sort of on the wrong side of 25, you know, you're not sort of the generation that grew up on social media. It's kind of hard for us, isn't it, to put stuff out there and say, you know, actually I fucked up, like you say, right? You know, that, because we, we sort of grew up in an era where we had, you know, like PR and Marcoms and you, you couldn't do these things, right? Do, yes, do, you, do yes, you find that a bit yes, of a challenge yes. for yourself, like being honest, like on social media and talking about where you went wrong? Uh, it's, it's a very good question. I think, I think I, yeah, it's uh, as startups uh, founder, you learn so many things from l legal and finances, what you didn't learn. I think this is, this is another aspect which you, which, which, which you learn. Uh, uh, which I mean, I, yeah, I think we were the worst in marketing. We this was one area which nobody in our team knew. So mm. this year, I think we have gotten uh, we, since we have some funding now that we we have gone to, got a, some somebody like a branding expert who helped us define our brand. What should be our brand values? Just getting all the data from us, uh, all our thoughts, and putting those values uh, in front of us. Uh, and uh, I think and also grooming uh, grooming me, grooming other co-founders a bit that. Uh, 
just be honest with your uh, on the social media just so and i think that comes easy to me like i don't mind uh, mm. sharing things uh, what i feel uh, close about it may relate to somebody it may not i mean not everybody will so it may not relate to maybe less than 20 years old but I think there's a huge generation after 35 as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> there's two right here. I think it's great, though. I mean, just on the branding side as well, you've mentioned it, that this is not something that came naturally to yourself and your co-founders. No, like, you no know, not at all. We didn't know anything about it. Yeah. So we, we've gotten very late into it. Uh, I know I know of co-founders uh, who have, like, day one, they had an image consultant or a branding expert. We didn't know this, so right, we, right. we were quite late into the game, into defining our brand. But I, after listening to it, I feel it's very important. Right, right. Have you changed anything in that respect? Because I know you said you've had people come so in. So we are and going actually... through that exercise. So right. we have right now identified our brand values. We will a whole of our how branding guideline, how our logo should change, how our website should update. So it's in the process. I think, and maybe in one month's time, I will definitely ping you when our new website is out. Excellent, exciting times. And from here on inwards, are, are you planning to continue your? I know, thinking about the, the original conversation that we had, are you continuing to go on this growth trajectory? I mean, or are you popping the courts, or are you sort of a bit more low key now in your celebrations when it comes to you know your <laughs> your, your daily wins? How's things sort of look from now on in? I mean, we do celebrate daily wins. So, uh, and, and one thing we have realized that uh, uh, we. And, and which we use our own product internally uh, is that uh, it, it, after first few times, uh, we all found this well that we're just celebrating the salesperson, and that's yeah. wrong because once the once the deal is closed, there's a lot of groundwork, a lot of work is needed to maintain the relationship, launch the product, uh, make sure that it works and meets all the demands. So I think we, we are getting very conscious of the fact that we appreciate everybody in the company who is contributing towards the deal, not just uh, the person who brought the deal. Obviously, we, 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 yeah, he, he's recognized and he gets recognized in the comms as well. But uh, yeah, we make a very conscious effort in recognizing everybody. So yeah, I think uh, recently we had like one of our best weeks possible. We had four launches in four countries in four days. Uh, mm. So yeah, that, that we, we used that. That was a, that's when I think we, I made this post and yeah, we bought beers and lunches for everybody. Let's let's take, yeah. take a half day off. Enjoy. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's great. And I, I, I love the fact you're coming on to Asia Tech Podcast and sharing the story and, and being quite honest about it as well, which is great because I think that, Thank you. you know, that you've, well, you started out just two of you, right? And now you're at 35. Things are going great. You're in 11 countries. And, you know, the challenge is always for any kind of founder to look around and find what kind of options are available. Look at the role models out there. And th there's often a big gap, isn't there, between being just like a two-man startup going through the accelerator or just starting out on your own. And then, you know, looking at the, the mega stars, the superstars of, of the startup world, you know, the Jack Mars and, and so on. Mm -hmm. and, and people don't really sort of have many options in between, do they? It's either being the Hollywood celebrity of the startup world or being nobody, right? But right. I, I think, you know, your story, getting that out there is really that sort of middle ground option for people because, you know, often the case is, is that, like you've mentioned, Sudan is that the founders who are in that middle ground are just so sort of busy growing that business and stuck in the weeds of doing it that they never sort of step out and think about telling that story. So, for everybody behind them, who's sort of following behind them, they they don't have any obvious examples to look at, right? Because yep. the people they should be looking at are just kind of 
really busy growing their businesses, right? So it's great that you come on to the, the show and share that because like you said, I mean, you know, like with your sales guy, you mentioned that he's found you for you getting out there and telling the story. You know, yep. often making that connection is very hard, isn't it? It's because it's a very long-term investment. But I think that this is something that founders should be doing all the time, getting out there, telling your story, being honest. And it's not yep. necessarily a story about the product. It's a story about you. Like you said, when you asked your sales guy, isn't it? You're interested about them and what they've done and what they've overcome. Not necessarily yep. their domain knowledge as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing that with them. It's a real pleasure. Same here, same here. It was, it's lovely talking to you, always. Excellent. And six months, well, maybe eight months down the road, let's get an update as well and see where you are. It'd be fantastic. Sure, we'll do. Let's do that. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.